Our granddaughter is at that stage in her development where the word she uses most is the word why. For children, the why question helps them make sense of the world around them, the world that they are just beginning to learn about. And depending on the response, the why question helps accelerate their learning. It helps them to build concepts, skills, vocabulary, and understanding of the unknown. But the why question never really leaves us. Habakkuk lived in a troubled time in the land of Judah. Corruption was everywhere. Violence and conflict were rife. Leaders put themselves above the law. Justice was scarce. People were suffering. And invasion was always a lurking threat. Habakkuk looks around his world and asks God one simple question, a very familiar question. Why? Why do you allow this? There are about 1,400 words in the book of Habakkuk. It's very short, but what it's doing is recording a conversation between a man and God about the state of the world. Habakkuk questions and argues with God, trying to understand things which seem to him meaningless and mysterious. So much pain, so much suffering, so much injustice. Why, God? Why? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Almost all of us have asked similar questions, and the worse things get, the more we ask them. Sometimes, We ask them in a world context, why is there so much poverty in the world? Sometimes we ask them in a national context, why is there so much uncertainty? Sometimes it's a local context, why is there so much crime? And sometimes we ask them in a very personal context, why do I feel I can't get out the bit? Of course, these aren't the same questions Habakkuk asked, but in a way they're all similar, in that they all deal with situations where we don't things, think things should be the way they are, and we don't understand why things are the way they are. Everything feels out of control, and we don't feel like we can do a thing about it. And so we cry out to God, We say, God, you see the situation here. So why don't you do something about it? Change my circumstances. And although to some it might feel like we're doubting God by challenging and asking these questions of God, we are in fact, just like Habakkuk, turning towards God. That's the situation Habakkuk was in. He never doubt doubts that, that God is there to ask these questions of, and he expects God to give him an answer. The thing is, the answer he gets from God is one that leaves him shocked. Your circumstances will change, but if you think this is bad, just wait. Something terrible is going to happen. Here's what's ahead. You're about to be invaded. And the murderous, unjust, corrupt Judean rulers you have lived under will be replaced by murderous, unjust, corrupt Babylonian rulers. Habakkuk 
is left absolutely stunned. And you can't blame him. You don't want to go from bad to worse. You just want the bad to stop. But Habakkuk doesn't walk away from God. He doesn't turn his back on him because he doesn't like this answer. He decides the best thing he can do is wait and listen until he has a message to pass on to his people. Wait to see where God might be at work in the present and what he might do in the new circumstances. And I think that's important because sometimes God's answer does not come all at once. Sometimes God's answer comes a little bit at a time. And if we're not standing watch, if we're not looking for God's answer, we may not see it. We'll think God is not answering our prayer when in fact God did give us an answer. We just weren't looking for it and so we missed it because it didn't come as we expected it to come. And that's how it is for Habakkuk. Having said the murderous, unjust, corrupt current leaders are going to fall, things are going to get worse as they're displaced by murderous, unjust, corrupt invaders, God then responds with a message about the fate of the Babylonians. They too will fall. However, before they do, God will use the Babylonians and the new circumstances to turn the people of Israel and their leaders back to him, just as Habakkuk wants. It does not mean that he approves of the Babylonians or the situations, but he will use it. Anyway, the message is clear. The situation will change, just not the way Habakkuk expected. God is not blind. The wicked will always be punished in the end. But how do you live through it? I think it's here that Habakkuk's conversation with God, and in particular his final prayer song, can help us. Where he says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. I will choose to praise God. I will choose to rejoice in my Saviour God, counting on God's rule to prevail. I take heart and gain strength. Habakkuk is faced with the frightening fact that his nation will be invaded by a merciless enemy. He knows that Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed, yet he tells God that he will trust him no matter what happens. Why is this? Well, even though the fig tree bears no fruit, it is still rooted in the earth, as we should be in God. And it's because Habakkuk remembered the greatness of God, remembered what he had done in the past for his people, 
that he decided he would hold on to the promises of God rather than continuing to seek total understanding and explanation of what was going on in his world and his life. Habakkuk couldn't rejoice in his circumstances. Nobody could. But he could rejoice in his God. I've heard it said that if Habakkuk focused totally on the present, he would only know worry. If Habakkuk focused totally on the future, he would only know fear. But Habakkuk focused on God and his worries and fears receded to be replaced by faith and hope.